And I wonder if you can just clarify this business of the rental that the provincial government is not able to collect. I mean, I'm naively comparing to rental of properties and so on. If you don't pay rent, well, you get an eviction notice and then you get kicked out. Right. So how it sort of works is these are aspirational targets. So when they say we want to collect 50 to 75% of the rent, that's what they're aspiring to. And then they set the royalty rates in a way, supposedly, that they think they're going to collect that in that target range of rent. And this is sort of the thing where, of how the oil market is structured in Alberta, where the government is on the outside. They don't, there's no Petro-Canada or anything similar like that. They don't have a direct uh, equity line in any of the companies. They don't know specifically about costs and revenues and everything like that. They're sort of on the outside, looking in, trying to get a sense of what's happening and setting the rates, the royalty rates accordingly. Uh, but I think from what you've seen and from what I've found is that there's something, it's when you are that performing that poorly for so long, it's pretty clear that it's it's not just a one single miscalculation. It's There's something, there's more of a trend there going on. Larry Alfords, my name. Thank you for the presentation. A question was asked at the uh, Picture Butte Electoral Forum the other day, and, and uh, Bev and uh, Everett were there representing really well, but the, one of the other candidates answered this question about, is it fair to compare Norway to Alberta? Alberta started with about a $12 billion heritage fund in the 68 area, 1968-ish. Norway started 12 years later with $0.00. They now have $500 billion, largest sovereign investment fund in the entire world, and we have about $12 billion. So is it, is it fair to compare, and do you have any comment on why? The answer that the candidate in Pitcher Butte gave was that Alberta can't grow like Norway because we have to send money to Ottawa. <coughs> and I thought that was a little bit simplistic. <laughs> well, oil companies are taxed like other businesses in Alberta and Canada, and they pay corporate income tax to the feds. And oil and gas royalties are the domain of Alberta, just like they are with Norway. So there's a lot of comparisons to be made. Similar resource base as well. Norway has a huge amount of reserves offshore in the, um, in the North Sea, and Alberta has, um, you know, has a gigantic pool of oil and gas as well as bitumen. So it, there are... There are a lot of comparisons to be made, and I think it actually points out how poorly uh, this file has been managed in Alberta quite well when you compare it to Norway. And when you look at the figure that, um, that I was showing earlier, potentially $195 billion over those 20-odd um, years could have been socked away, 30, 40 years, sorry, over those 40 years could have been socked away into something like a heritage savings fund. And... You could see how that would quickly grow through interest and um, proper management to something sizable to Norway. And I mean, when you've got a fund that big, you've got interest that alone is larger than some uh, national budgets, and, and certainly probably uh, Alberta's provincial budget. So, would be quite a powerful and meaningful thing that we could have. And, uh, but, you know, that's in the past, and we can't exactly go back and knock on those doors and say, you owe us 
<laughs> this money for the last over the last 40 years but we could say well we're not going to go that way anymore and what i found and what i was trying to show with the uh the budget that the pc pc's table there they've clearly indicated their position of continuing on that path and with uh the three other leading parties the liberals the uh pcs and the wild rose all committing to no royalty changes they're basically committing themselves to continuing along this trend and not having any meaningful um, push towards something like Norway's fund. Uh, my name is Van Christou. Uh, David, thank you so much for uh, being here today to talk on a, a very important issue. A few of us in this room, probably more than a few, have had this be in our bonnet for 40 years. <laughs> And it's become very bothersome uh, living in a province that we love and that's uh, being so poorly managed in, in terms of, of our resources. Uh, it's easy, as you said just a minute ago, to look back and see the mistakes that we've made. Uh, hindsight is always 2020. Um, uh, personally, uh, I'm worried about the future. Uh, if we don't do something now, we're going to be in real tough straits within a decade. I've come back recently from a trip to Korea where I saw what's going on there, and it makes us look like a bunch of dumb bunnies down here in Alberta by comparison with what's happening. Uh, they're moving ahead like gangbusters, and we're just sitting on our hands doing nothing. Um, now, the, the question in the, for the future is now, are we prepared as a people to put in a government that will do something about this. And uh, as you just mentioned, the leading parties that are running today won't even touch this matter because they're committed to it. Um, do you think that there's the will in this province and the intelligence for us to make this move? Good question. <laughs> and I think that's something that... People should be asking. Anytime you see a candidate, anytime you are at a forum and have the opportunity, this is a major, major issue uh, for the future, especially with the projected growth in the oil sands. If we keep getting the poor shares that we're getting and we're stay, stay on this path, then, yeah, we shouldn't expect uh, anything, anything major to change. So I do think there's definitely the intelligence. I mean, it's... It's kind of amazing that that poll showed that the majority of Albertans uh, don't think that they're getting their fair share, despite the fact that this type of information is not widely produced and not widely shared. So they're sort of going outside uh, those norms, and they've got this sense of what's happening, and they're doing their own research, and they're doing their own reading and poking around, and it's not something that's being spoon-fed, but there's still, uh, there's still that general sense of, of something being wrong. So uh, definitely the intelligence. Um, as for the will, I think we'll see what happens with the election. And, uh, you know, it's going to take some, some work and some organizing for sure. Ellen Lightham. Thank you very much for your presentation. First off, you mentioned a company that is no longer in service, which is PetroCanada. My question is, uh, you talk about the rent. Uh, each one of the companies that go into the oil sands, they have to buy their leases, not rent them, they buy them. Mm -hmm. 
Now, my question is uh, on your schematics there. You're talking about the, the, the royalties. That is that just for the oil sands, or is that all told? Because under Lougheed, Peter Lougheed, your highest royalty was on your natural gas. But now with natural gas being $2, you're not going to get no royalties from that. So is the royalties combined, or is it just on oil sands? Thank you. Thank you. So I should clarify again, rent in this, in this sense uh, is economic rent, which is different than um, leases and, and home ownership and stuff like that. Economic rent is the amount of money that's left over after you deduct from revenue costs and a standard rate of profit. So it's, it's like the surplus profit that exists in an oil market because there, it is such a valuable resource. The costs are generally far below what the uh, total value is. And so after you deduct from total revenue costs and a standard rate of profit, 10%, it's that amount of money that's left over. So that's what um, our royalty system is trying to target and trying to get the best deal possible, or that's this is how it should be operating, is trying to get the best deal possible for Albertans and getting as much of that rent as we possibly can, as we can get away with. So, uh, And in terms of the second question of the graph showing revenue, uh, it depended. Some of those graphs were um, specifically the oil sands, and some of those graphs were specifically the conventional sector. So they were, they were separated out, except for the very first one. Um, except for this one here is overall. So that's oil, gas, and bitumen. And um, so that, that's all three of the major resource sectors combined. And both the natural gas question... The biggest boom years for natural gas were during the Klein years in the mid-2000s. I mean, Alberta was just awash in natural gas. We were drilling like 10,000 uh, natural gas wells a year. We had tremendous amount of resources at high prices, and you can see where that left us. So I think this, hopefully that answers your question. Yeah, okay, thank you. Just that I spent 25 years up there, and I got a good living out of it. And so has a lot of other people. Thanks. You're welcome. I'm Evan Danos from Pictures. Thank you for your presentation. <coughs> I can see when they're making that much money why we can't wait a day to build a pipeline. Anyway, I, I want to make a, I have a question uh, about the when the oil leases are sold or the national resource lease is sold, is the royalty rate uh, tied down to the date of sale? And if so, or you know, how much will the economic um, a comprehensive economic trade agreement with Europe and Asia Pacific? have effect on what we can do after this fully signed agreement, which we don't know much about because the government keeps it undercover. Uh, so starting with your last question first, I haven't looked at the specifics of either of those trade deals, but uh, international trade deals tend to be federal jurisdiction, and royalties and, and natural resources are provincial territories, so 
I wouldn't think that there would be anything in that agreement dictating what Albertans can charge the oil companies for our resources. Um, and the first question about the timing of royalties, I don't think so. I would, I believe it's it's set by uh, by government policy, uh, and they change it when when they want to in conversation with Albertans and the oil industry. Well, well just a, a supplementary question or comment. When we always have been going down in the royalties, there would be no objection from the industry, but if we go up, there might be a different story. Sorry, could you repeat that? I, I didn't quite get that. When <clears throat> our expectation of royalties collected the percentage has always gone down, so that would be a benefit to the industry. There would be no objection by the industry. So when we go up, there's going to be some uh, objection by the industry, whether that would be legal or just, uh, you know, for their own profit. Right. Yes, and we certainly saw that with the last royalty review. Which, yeah. My name is Frank Toth. David, uh, uh, you're welcome, certainly, at this time during your election for this subject. And I want to commend the selection committee for finally getting somebody like you in to tell us how we're getting shafted for the last generation here. Okay. I've had the audited report for the last three years. I commended one of your people that was your origin and gave her the copy. And I just want to say that it's an understatement to say that Albertans are totally in denial when you get a man like Fidel Castro recently chided Canada, Mr. Harper, who is the son of Imperial Oil VIP, and the total destruction that it causes. As a matter of fact, we just had two bishops, finally religious people, commenting on the destruction, the sanctity of our earth, water, what have you as being a moral sin. But anyway, I, ju I, just, want to, I just want to ask one question. Uh, we're about, well, 67 is when it started with Suncor, but uh, we've had almost 50 years of, of, of holding back on replacing the debris that have taken out the term, I guess, we call reclamation. You never said a word about reclamation. How far are we advanced, or what would you propose? That area, the size of, of, of Miami, is a world disgrace. Everybody in the world knows about it but us. I want to commend you, secondly, again, for coming and telling us just where we are in the world today. Bless you. Thank you. Reclamation, I mean, and that, that's, I think that's a really good topic. Thank you for asking that question. Um, that's been sort of... Uh, prominent piece that the industry has tried to hold up to sort of dispel any sort of um, resistance to a growth in the oil sands. This idea that, well, we'll just repair the land afterwards and it will be just like new. But it actually not so long ago in the papers, they um, had an article that was talking about how uh, there were government documents being passed around that the media accessed through freedom to information that um, that showed that the government was getting information as long as as far back as five years ago, saying that there's a very strong chance that there will be permanent 
damage to the environment in terms of air and water and land uh, in that area. And seems pretty straightforward to us. And there's been a lot of, um, also a lot of criticism from ecologists who went and analyzed that the main land that the, there's one segment of land where the oil industry in the oil sands is saying this has been reclaimed and there has been a lot of dispute about the actual integrity of that of that land being replaced. Thank you, David. My name is Lauren Fitch. And pursuant to the last question, in the rush to extract petroleum from all of the Alberta landscape, there are costs. And, of course, one of the ways to defray costs is to ex externalize many of those costs to the environment, of, of which you just spoke. But I'm wondering, given that, how much money would we have to get from a royalty to be able to defray the environmental cost <laughs> of the oil and gas industry to us in Alberta? Maybe it's a rhetorical question. Yes, I think so. I mean, it's kind of hard to count uh, in terms of dollars, that, that kind of cost. But, I mean, that goes that, that's a very strong point to make, is that when, when I'm presenting these numbers about how much revenue we're missing out on, that's not even counting the humongous costs that, it, that come along with something like the oil industry that is, and those costs are going to be shouldered by the public again in terms of uh, even certainly in terms of uh, air, mon air quality monitoring and uh, water infrastructure and planning around uh, water use and, and then let alone um, in land infrastructure and roads and everything else, all these costs that, that aren't included in the price of oil and really are very difficult to quantify but would certainly be a very sizable chunk. And who knows even if the price of oil today can cover the costs that come along with, with, the, price, uh, with, the, with the cost of a barrel of oil. So. I'm Bev from Atherstone. Thank you very much for your informative talk. Um, and one of the big costs, of course, is health care, as people suffer from asthma and cancer and uh, leukemia and other related diseases. My question relates to Ralph Klein's era. At the end of his era, I, I remember he decided that he would increase the number of oil wells gilled, drilled by tenfold. And we could actually see that because we live across from the Blood Reserve on what I believe is called the Livingston Fault. And right along that fault, we could see the oil wells being drilled at a tremendous rate. So I wonder, are the oil wells continuing to be drilled at the rate that he suggested, tenfold the previous rate? Or has it gone down, or has it gone up? Thanks. Well, we are certainly, in terms of trajectory of the different... Uh, different sectors. The natural gas sector is certainly um, having a bit of difficulty at this time. Uh, most of the drilling right now, the new drilling is going back to the major, uh, major oil fields that have been used for the last 30 or 40 or 50 years. And um, after you drill an oil, oil well, production goes way up and then it starts to, to come down as the pressure in the in the well declines and you can't get to as much. So now they've come up with these new uh, drilling techniques that I'm sure we've all heard of, um, fracking and horizontal drilling. 
And so the new sort of trend is to go back to these big major oil fields and drill them and frack them, blow them up, and try to get out this oil that's been trapped uh, in different rock formations and haven't been previously accessible. So uh, we are seeing an increase in those drillings. And the real major boon is, of course, the oil sands. And uh, especially with, with SAG-D, so the steam-assisted um, gravity drainage, that that's that is really since the late '90s set off to be to be a major major increase. Yes. Hi, David. Thanks for your presentation. Um, my name is Rena Wass. Um, in terms of environmental disasters, to me, along with the nuclear industry, the fossil fuel industry is the number one threat to our planet. Um, the, the, you know, everything from the Gulf disaster is just air pollution, water pollution, health problems. And to add insult to injury, here we're sitting on all this oil and we're getting nothing in terms of revenue, oil royalty revenue for it. Um, you know, I'm looking at the parties that are running for election. And in my view, the only party I can trust is the NDs. I'm wondering if the um, Parkland Institute has a position on what party we can trust. <laughs> Thank you. Trevor? <laughs> Nonpartisan. Yeah, so, um, but just looking at the royalty issue, I, I mean, on, on that issue alone, you can look at the four main parties, and like I said, the Liberals, PCs, and the Wild Rose are campaigning on no changes to royalties, and the New Democrats are the only one that seem to have uh, a suggesting a policy around changing the royalty system. In their case, I believe it's to uh, try to encourage more upgrading in the province, which would bring in a lot more revenue um, through differentiating the royalty rates there. So, but... Going back to the last question, another thing that I wanted to say that I forgot at the end was that that sort of that mentality of I can't believe I'm going to quote Sarah Palin, but drill, baby, drill. That is the mentality that's been operating in Alberta for many years now, especially uh, in the the Klein era, was just ramp up development and extraction as much and as fast as possible, and hope you can get something from that, uh, which would be, you know, sort of the opposite end of the spectrum from the approach of uh, planning for development and um, setting government policy that would manage investment and manage the uh, the development of the resources, which is what we're, we haven't seen in this province for a very long time, even though it would entail higher royalties per barrel and less chances of this less um, sort of fanning of this boom and bust cycle that brings great damage to the province. Thank you for your presentation. My name is Mike Williams, and I am not uh, a lobbyist for the oil industry, but I would point out that the 9% that we're currently receiving from royalties appears to be the oil companies are paying for our provincial sales tax. 
and the $20 billion a year that are being shipped to Ottawa each year. And how many people in this room would be willing to pay a 5% provincial sales tax uh, to allow oil revenues to be captured and invested into the future? Well, I should just I should take that opportunity to point out that royalties are completely different than a tax. Taxes and royalties are not the same thing. Certainly, an oil company would sense them as the same thing because both times it's it's a cost to their bottom line. But in terms of what they are and what they mean, are totally different. A tax is a way that the public uh, uses profits to ensure that there's infrastructure and healthcare and and sort of a public good that's able to allow those companies to continue to operate. I mean, you could just take a little mind experiment to think about how long an oil company would be in business for if they didn't have roads to drive on or and their employees didn't have any healthcare and uh, the oil fields weren't protected by police, etc., etc. So that pays for all those costs. And a royalty comes in um, as a means for Albertans to receive a return for the private exploitation of their publicly owned resources. So we own the resources. That's where it starts from. And if we want someone else to, we want to allow someone else to come in and profit from the sale of those resources, then we charge them a fee. And that fee is meant to capture the surplus profit that's generated in that industry. So in terms of the 9% return that the public has received through royalties as well as land sales, uh, I mean, that's internationally when you compare that out, that is exceptionally low. You know, I accept that, but at the end of the day, you know, the revenue uh, is paying for our provincial sales tax right now. That's by analogy. And when I see that chart and I see the fact that natural gas is now down at $2, there's been a huge loss in revenue from royalties. And what happens if oil falls again? Uh, we're on the roller coaster again. Mm-hmm. Well, that's a good point, and I think it just sort of um, gives credence to the people who have argued for decades now that Alberta should not put all its eggs in one basket. We are so heavily reliant on one sector, which we have very little control of. Globally, the, the price of oil is set globally, generally, by global dynamics, and we can't control what happens in the Middle East. We can't control if the U.S. has a shale gas boom. So... You know, we're, we're putting ourselves out there and at risk of these boom and busts and uh, huge drops in revenue um, when we continually reinvest and reinvest and reinvest in more and more uh, oil and gas. Last question. My name is Tom Kane, and I thank you for coming. And uh, I'm glad that uh, Parkland is nonpartisan. Uh, how do, wh- my question is, quickly, where do you get your funding so you can be nonpartisan? And secondly, do you have any forecasts of what kind of revenue we would get if we invested in alternatives to fossil fuels? Does Parkland have any studies on forecasting the future of what other kind of economies we could get if we would focus on that? Thank you. Good question. Uh, Parkland's revenue comes from its membership, from uh, community groups and union donations, 
as well as fundraising drives that we do. We have uh, a gala once a year that, that raises some money for us, as well as um, we are based at the University of Alberta, so they supply us with the building and other types of um, administrative duties that sort of that allow us to not have those costs otherwise we, that we would otherwise have. And in terms of um, future projections and future analysis and analyses of alternative economies, uh, Parkland itself hasn't done any of those studies, but there's certainly several out there that show um, you know the benefits that could come from a from a green transition. And Trevor. Uh, uh, that was, I was done. I was actually only kidding when uh, it was the last question. I, I, <laughs> I get to have the last question. <laughs> uh, subsidies have played a big role in development. Uh, that's not nothing to do with royalties. Subsidies. The last three years, there's been three million, three billion dollars paid out to gas and oil drillers for to fracture our province. Uh, do you see that as an incentive or a, or a part of the royalty re regime? Good question. And I, I didn't actually mention this in my presentation, but I should have, in that the, if, if the government policy is not to collect 100% of the rent, then what's ever not collected is a form of corporate subsidy. So it's a zero-sum game in the oil industry. Either the government gets the extra profits or the oil industry gets the extra profits. And it's internationally recognized that um, not collecting 100% of the rent, so leaving some of that extra surplus for the oil industry, is a form of subsidy. So like I said, in 2010, in the oil sand sector alone, that was a $30 billion subsidy that went to the oil industry. And in terms of... Um, what Nud was talking about, it was kind of incredible that a royalty review and a, and a large public outcry for a reassessment of the oil industry and, and an increase in the royalty rate for the public turned into uh, a future series of subsidies for the oil industry. And it's this, I think it's, a, it's indicative of a commitment um, on the part of the government to do whatever it can to push that industry forward. It, it's seems incapable of looking elsewhere, investing elsewhere. Um, so it's regardless of the fact that the price of natural gas was tanking and investment wasn't going to happen, regardless if that was the case, we saw these, these subsidies just sort of try to buck that trend, uh, which really didn't work at all. Uh, two very quick things here. I'm, uh, most of you probably know me, but uh, I'm Trevor Harrison. I'm actually a director of uh, Parkline Institute as well as a professor here at the university. Uh, just a quick comment about the uh, uh, taxes. Uh, Parkland has actually, over the years, done uh, repeatedly a lot of studies around taxes and has uh, suggested that there should be a reexamination of the uh, tax base in Alberta. Uh, part of our argument is, and it goes along with the whole issue of royalties, is that to some extent we've been kind of living off the avails of royalties. And what that causes is these fluctuations that are really damaging to the Alberta economy. So our argument is, in fact, we need to re-examine and go back to a much more progressive uh, taxation system. Uh, the flat tax that we went to back in 2000, 2001, 
immediately took about a billion dollars out of the uh, the Alberta coffers, and it particularly actually hit people in the middle income categories. So people in the middle income categories were better off before 2000 than they are today. But we could re- and, uh, bring back a progressive taxation regime, increase our revenue streams, we could flatten out so we got away from the booms and busts, and the money we then got from higher royalty rates, we could then put into the kind of fund that for generations to come would make Alberta much more economically sustainable. Second thing very quickly here, uh, in terms of uh, Parklands fundraising, this is my pitch. <laughs> uh, we, we actually do have across the province uh, over 700 uh, people who donate. We're trying to actually increase that. We are very proudly uh, nonpartisan, and one of the ways we can remain nonpartisan is, in fact, by having uh, a distribution of uh, contributors from across the province. So I would encourage you to go to our uh, website. Please sign up. Uh, we, we appreciate any amount of money that you can give us. And uh, we welcome you as members, so uh, please do so. Thank you. Thank you, David.